No. It's enough. Even torturing you is boring. This is the small council. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. With me, I have two uh, two of my co-hosts, uh, Cyrus. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, no problem. Happy to be here. And uh, it's been a while, but uh, we have Craig on. How are you? How have you been? Good. Just living the dream. <laughs> nice. So. Um, with uh, today's topic, we're going to be doing some tactics talk. Uh, it was requested by a couple listeners that you know we've been doing a lot of like new product, uh, you know, discussions and stuff like that. And uh, a lot of people kind of want to get back to some more you know tactics type of stuff. Um, some of it being like deployment and uh, objectives things like that, and we've kind of talked about those in the past, but one thing we haven't really done is kind of deep-dived into individual factions and how they might, in particular, need to, uh, you know, need their own tactics or approach to, you know, terrain, objectives, deployments, all that stuff, and so we're going to kind of take a closer look at at, uh, those things in particular. so super excited to talk about this episode. As usual, you know, I love uh, kind of bringing you guys these episodes, and I'm grateful that I have uh, other, you know, dedicated co-hosts that uh, will come on and talk uh, with me. So, Cyrus, uh, I'll actually have you kind of take it away. Uh, what are your thoughts on this topic? So I have a few broader t- uh, thoughts, not necessarily faction-specific, but... As far as uh, game tactics goes, one thing that I often struggle with, and I think that is a really big part of the game, is patience. Sometimes you build your super aggressive list and you want to go out there and you want to charge a unit as soon as possible. It's it's like, you know, when you build your, your, you know, heavy cavalry list with Taiwan NCU and, and you just want to go for that big, huge hit. It's like a, uh, a, a slingshot that's drawn back as far as it can go. And you just want to let it go and, and see what happens. Often that does not work out well in the game. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. There's cards that can be played. There's the luck of the dice. And there's the fact that if you make that, aggressive charge early on that's where that unit is because that typically involves an activation and your opponent is going to be able to counter that with a few options especially if you've gotten too far out ahead so one thing just tactically that you have to consider is be patient and wait for your openings or make your opponent come to you if uh, you have cards that allow you to get extra charges, wait. Don't be the first one to play them. You can actually play those extra charges after your opponent has already come to you, and you're going to be able to get even more benefit out of that. It's often the case that 
you are better off being charged first than doing the charging first. There's defensive units. There's cards. There's tokens. A weakened token can blunt a, a charge first uh, action really quickly. So that's one thing that I think that everybody should consider when they're playing. Now, there's some factions that can't play that patiently. They can't be charged first. There's a lot of, like, let's say uh, Targaryens with their cavalry. They don't want to be charged first, but they also would, are able to put their units in a position where if you get too far out in front, they're going to maneuver around you and they're going to surround you and they're going to make you pay for your aggression. So yeah, that's one thing that I wanted to mention initially is, is be patient. Craig, what do you think? Oh yeah. Patience is key. Um, there's, there's always going to be an opening uh, in the game and there's no reason for you to be the one to provide that opening. Uh, you mentioned Targaryens and I happen to occasionally put them on the table and Every even with cavalry. Even with cavalry, I will at times kind of sit back, relax, take my time, maybe wait a whole round and do next to nothing, just see where the opening's going to be and then take advantage of it. Or I will bait my opponent into their big game-winning hammer charge and blunt it by swift advancing out of the way or rip, swift reposition, I should say. Or That's such a wild circumstance. I don't know where you came up with that. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of funny. For the listeners, me and Craig played a game here at our Kansas City tournament. He was uh, gracious enough to drive from out of town to uh, to come visit us here in Kansas City to join us for our September tournament. And Craig and I played, what was that round? Uh, that was round three. Yep. And I was running Knights of Castle Rock with Tywin and Kevin and Antarian Commander. I shifted with Tyrion three inches, and then I shifted with Kevin two more inches. I gave the Knights of Cashley Rock rerolls. I tried to shut off a unit, and I was just going to bowl him over with Knights of Cashley Rock. I was just going for the one-turn kill. And, he bombed him too. Yeah, and he had swift advance in his hand and was able to shift them back three inches and made my charge a lot more difficult. Um so that did not work out, and that's what I'm talking about. Like you could plan all of this in your head of this, you know, big, huge, just one shot, and it could fall apart really quickly. So, but yeah, continue. I just wanted to uh, fill in everybody. Yeah. So, with that in mind, he mentioned um, uh, being in position to swarm your opponent when they do come in. And that's essentially what I do at this point. I just kind of leave something all alone and like, oh, that's something you should probably go kill. And then when you attempt it, then you're dead quicker than you can blink because there's slavemen and vets and everything else coming up your rear. Um, I do the same thing when I play Starks. But there are times, and it depends on the list build, but I have been known to throw a unit away, um, usually Screamers or Harakars or uh, Stark Outriders, something cheap, something fast. And what I will do, throw it in the middle of their formation, try to kill something, try to do some damage. If I don't, I don't care. And what I do at that point is I hope that they swarm it, 
and I hope that it survives long enough for me to respond because once they do swarm it, they are then out of position and I take advantage of that. So there's, there's more than one way to do it. But again, even to make that work, you have to be patient. You have to time everything right. If you throw your unit in there, but the rest of your units aren't, aren't in position to take advantage of the chaos you caused, then you did nothing. Yeah, there's not only that uh, that uh, aggro patience that you have to learn to try to be just a little bit more relaxed in the early game, but you also need to know when to back off. Uh, this happened to be in my first game of the tournament where they seemed really intent on destroying my units. Uh, this was Free Folk. Obviously, I was at activated on the table. And they were swarming in. They were coming to get me. And I was able to pick off a couple of theirs, uh, some of their non-insignificant units, so I was able to gain some points. And then they realized, I have four units on the table and they have two. I could keep trying to destroy these units, or I could back off and go sit on some objective and score more points than they could possibly get for the rest of the game. And that's what they decided to do. And they ended up winning the game because of that. So it's it's that mindset that you have to get into. It's like, I, I understand. I, trust me. I understand. I see the opponent to me. I want to destroy them. But that's not often, that's not always the best play. Often, in fact, it's not the best play. You want to play the objective when you can. And you want to wait for your openings when you can. Uh, so as far as tactics go, that, that would be my uh, advice to start the show. Dave, you there? Yep. So I think, uh, you know, trying to talk about tactics, you know, it can be, can be a pretty big topic. You know, it can, you can often kind of fall down rabbit holes. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing. Um, uh, but I think, you know, and then you, also you can kind of only scratch the surface sometimes. So, it's it's definitely one of those dynamic um, topics that you know has a lot of uh, layers to it. Um, I definitely think that you know it also comes down to one's particular play style. Kind of like you were saying, Craig, you have you have certain uh, little tactics that you do that that work for you, and you know other people might even try it and be like, well, this is stupid, but that would that just comes down to one personal preference but two doing you know understanding what it's meant to do and why um i think like for me you know there's you know i'll i'll just kind of go into uh to greyjoys in particular because uh, that's what i've played a lot of um and you know greyjoys have you know they're they're rising a bit on stats, but they've they've been kind of bottom bottom of the barrel for a little while. Uh, but I don't know. I've always had a lot of success with them. Um, granted, I don't play TTS, uh, but uh, at pr practically every single event I've brought them to, I've gone three and one. You know, I've I've won pretty much uh, most of all my games with them. And I think it just it comes down to understanding what your list in particular is trying to do. Uh, I'll just give mine as an example. So, um, you know, I have my Victorian list, and I just spam it with Reavers, 
Uh, and, you know, again, TTS would tell you that reavers are a bad unit or not very good, we'll say that. Um, but understanding what you're trying to do with them and how to optimize what they're trying to do can really go a long way to, um, you know, to making them even better. Uh, but, you know, there's... I don't know, it really uh, says something about list building and, you know, what you're trying to accomplish with a list. So my tearing list, the whole thing is about alpha striking. Uh, and then between Victarion's auto six charge cards and then um, Wendemir's three-inch shifts, even though my list doesn't have any cavalry, uh, I often will get the beat on my opponent, even if they do have cavalry, because... A lot of times my bowmen, whether I'm running one or two, if you know if their cavalry is trying to hold back too far to avoid my Victorian, my bowmen are often, you know, eking just within and just shooting them until they're forced to kind of come towards me. Um, but that also goes in with like activation uh, advantage. You wanna, my Victorian list is nine activations, so. There's a lot of times where I can kind of um, force my opponent who might be much faster than me to get within the danger zone. And then that's also why I run, uh, I run Harlaw, because he allows me to filter my deck to almost guarantee that I, I get at least one of his auto six uh, charge cards um, to really put that you know, uh, pressure on my opponent. Um, especially if it's a little later in the in the game and you, or you already got like three, four Wendemir tokens and you have all this flexibility. I can't tell you how many times where, you know, a lot of people, they want, you know, that heal or they want to save up all these tokens for the heal. But I've often had like uh, three uh, tokens on Wendemir and I'll just back-to-back -back use them for shifts and get like a very key charge off and change the game. Um, so it really just comes down to what you're trying to build. Um, but before we kind of, you know, get too far into like a lot of this stuff, uh, let's try to, we'll pick like, cause I know like the topic we're trying to focus on, what was it? Uh, um, objectives, uh, when to fight, um, let's see terrain, just placement, and stuff like that. Um, let's, uh, let's start with, I know we kind of already talked briefly about them, but let's, uh, let's just start with targs, because I know, uh, Craig, you, you don't have, uh, you might ha not have time for the entire episode. So let's uh, get Targaryens kind of out of the way. And so uh, let's start with, uh, the, I guess, the easier options for maybe you. Uh, how do you feel about terrain and objectives and like placement, like uh, uh, terrain objectives, and like the whole like pre-game stuff for your Targaryens. Okay, so <clears throat> terrain is is game-winning, um, game-changing, and it really depends on the scenario on how I go about it and what I'm facing. But a good example, a good general rule of thumb, I mentioned that I'll often sit and wait for you to come across, or I'll bait you with a unit. And I use terrain to double down on that. Um, so I will use bogs, which, especially against Baratheons, I mean, it's obvious, negative one movement, no rerolls. 
we all know what they do. Um, but not just with them, with uh, anything, any list in which there's five objectives on the table and I am running some sort of range, whether it be archers or outriders or whatever, I will often use that um, to protect whatever unit I have sitting on my objective. And the theory is by the time they come across it, they've eaten extra shots. Um, by the time they do charge me, they don't have rerolls. They don't have much damage. I bounce off, retreat an inch, hold the objective still, blah, blah, blah. Um, another piece of terrain I really like for the same reason is my dice are poor or have been lately. Um, and then Targaryen saves are also poor. You know, five ups on average. Occasionally you'll get a four plus unit. So a piece of terrain I like to use is forest. And not for the cover reason, but just the plus one to your defensive saves when you're charged. So I'll often sit, you know, on the forest or right behind the forest or whatever. If I know I'm not going to get the charge first and I'm trying to draw you in, I will at least have that bonus. Um, low walls work better. The problem is they're smaller and easier to avoid, which is why I choose the forest usually. Although low walls have a better stat line. Um, yeah, uh, the other thing I'll use is uh, stakes. Obvious, I've got a card in my hand that can ignore them for me. I will put them under objectives and just make it a mess for you. Um, that's pretty much the three, three, four pieces I use most of the time. Happy trees are kind of a waste because my morale is decent enough as it is. Um, course piles, well, I've had too many games where I've placed a course pile and it's cost me, so I don't use them. <laughs> Bogs will get the same result that I that I'm looking for, which is the loss of rerolls, but on a bigger template. So that's kind of how I look at terrain. I I also use it to funnel. Um, I don't want you to go over there. I'll put a bog over there. Your army's slow. You're not going to want to go over there anyway, type of thing. So that's where my head's at on that. Yeah, all those make perfect sense and. You know, the three topics that I mentioned in our group chat that I was hoping to cover today, and we'll cover them you know, a bit, you know, per faction. Aggressive play style, when do you play aggressive? You know, when do you not? When do you play the objective? and Or when do you go after kills? And uh, terrain usage. And as far as Targaryens go, if you're charging a unit and that is your only plan for that unit that you're charging with, it's typically a bad idea unless you're going to kill that unit. So you got your unit of streamers. If they're charging in and they're going for a full-strength infantry tray, unless you have something else that you plan to do behind that, you don't want to do it because you're going to leave your screamers out and they're going to get swarmed and, and retaliated against by... You know, especially if this is the opening of a round and the swords have been left open, you don't want your opening move to be a charge if you have nothing behind it. And that's why Drogo is so good, because he has assault orders and can give you free charges, and then you have attacks behind that and whatnot. So that's what I mean by if you're charging to opening a round with no move behind it, it's it's going to backfire because you're going to be stuck right there because that unit's going to have no more activations or no more actions beyond maybe a free retreat if your opponent lets you. Uh, 
as far as playing the objective, Targaryens can play objectives really well because they have so much cavalry, they have a lot of reach. And they could be threatening you on all sides, and then poof, they're gone, and they have retreated to the four corners of the map and start covering objectives, and now they're scoring points. And now you're stuck, like, oh, wait, what happened? It's like, well, now they're up, you know, four to one on you. It's like, oh, crap. So that can can definitely bite you. And then as far as terrain goes, I think you covered it really well. Uh, Those are typically the terrain that you're going to want to play. Targaryens don't have to worry about it a whole lot if they're unless their opponent is sitting on a certain terrain piece because their maneuverability allows them to jump over intervening terrain basically so they don't have to worry about it affecting their charges or or whatnot so uh but you're typically going to throw out what to try to hinder your opponent as opposed to bolster yourself i think is your your primary focus when you're throwing out your terrain and yeah exactly. i think that's it So, Craig, uh, just had one question about the terrain for you. Is uh, So you're saying the forest over the low wall. Have you ever found it useful to take the low wall, knowing, assuming your opponent isn't uh, Targaryen, uh, to take the low wall so that way on the out chance that you need to, you can, uh, is it unstoppable advance and then uh, so get the benefits yourself while having a card to take it away from your opponent? Uh, yes, it really depends on the scenario and what you're playing against. Um, but yeah, that does work, and it actually works really well. Um, the the only the only advantage to the forest is just a larger footprint. So if you're not worried about having a larger footprint, then 100% take the low wall. Now, is there uh, um, any terrain that you hate seeing as a Targaryen player, like? that your opponent might put out and, you know, might you might feel like it, it's going to give you a hard time? Uh, Palisades. Palisades uh, or now, oh, but only if you don't draw the card. Palisades and what? Stakes, but only stakes if you don't draw unstoppable advance. Gotcha. Yeah, it is nice that the two that kind of would give you a hard time are both uh, destructible, so that unstoppable (laughs) gives you an answer to it. Yep. Yeah, I would say uh, I agree with all that. The Targaryens are definitely very good at, even though they look, I think, on paper to a lot of people, uh, or especially a lot of newer players, as a very aggressive, offensive, just try to beat your face in faction they're definitely a lot more tactical they're they're a lot more about positioning and uh maneuvering and i would say that they're just as aggressive as they are like they're they're going to want to kill you just as then as they're going to want to just run around you and place the objective or to the mission which kind of gives them uh, Go ahead. In the current meta, I, uh, in the current meta, um, I, people close to me have heard me complain about this enough, but they they don't have much in the way of spike damage. 
so with the current meta, more often than not, I only play the objectives or, or only play the scenario and try to avoid fights if I can altogether because I will lose them. Yeah, and I think that's a, kind of a stigma that some people have, uh, not a lot, you know, like you don't see them that often, but there are people out there that will, you know, you play to the mission so like much that you pretty much avoid fights and people will kind of get sour about it. But I mean, a lot of times, you know, that's, that's your only answer. I mean, do they expect you to just play right into their, you know, their uh, advantage? You know, so I've always found that a little uh, goofy, you know, you know, especially the, you know, let's say, for example, like the double champions of the stag, like killable, unmovable lists, you know, it's like, what do you expect me to just, you know, stay in combat with you and fight you and play your game, like what you're good at? I mean, no, yeah. you're gonna, <laughs> yeah. It's like, how are we gonna? How are you gonna win this? Okay, well, you're gonna have to not do that, and then that usually leads to what you're kind of saying is, you know, you, you uh, maneuver around them, you just kind of play to the mission and let them waste their uh, points. Yep. All right. So, um, let's see, what uh, what else did you want to talk about, Cyrus, for like tactic stuff before we kind of move on to like another faction? Well, I figure we can break down uh, each of these topics for each faction. So we can just move into another faction and and break it down in those three things. Okay. Cool. Um, all right, uh, Cyrus, won't we, uh, we could talk about, like, one of the factions that you're, you kind of main, either, like, what, Lannisters or Baratheons? Let's, uh, let's talk about Lannisters. So, this actually kind of fits a little bit into a game that I had a while back, uh, the last topic that we discussed, uh, with the, with the Targaryens and, and how you want to play the objective. I tried that with the Regulus in a, uh, TTS game. And I just was looking at the list across from me. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's like, you know, I could just try to play the objective and try to go up. And I did. I went up, uh, I believe I went up seven to nothing or seven to one uh, by middle rounds. Problem was, is I sacrificed so much positioning and just let them go where they wanted to because I was just going to study these objectives with my units that I actually lost that game. 10 to 7 uh, because they ended up just killing a bunch of units and started scoring scoring theirs. So that that balance is like, yeah, you can play the objective, but unless you're you're trying to stay balanced and also dealing with your opponent's units without letting them go wherever they want to go, uh, it can come back and bite you too. So uh, I can't remember all the details of that game, but as we were talking about, you know, just play the objective, just play the objective. Well, that doesn't always work. Um, but so Lannisters, they're, they're funny. Uh, they have some of the most aggressive, most deadly combinations in the game. Uh, like Sir, uh, Robert Strong or Gregor, a unit of pyromancers in a Joffrey list are capable of throwing out, uh, nine non-defense save dice with two automatic wounds with Vicious. Uh, that it might be the most deadly combo in the game. 
They have Tywin, which can deal hits and and panic tests and shut off unit abilities and set you up for a Knights of Cashley rock charge, which I try to do sometimes. That works sometimes, but not always. They have a really aggressive commander in Gregor. So when you're thinking about, it's like, okay, I, I want to play really aggressively. I want to go out and I want to get my opponent and I want to kill units. Uh, this is this is another case where that doesn't always work. You're counting with the Knights of Cashley Rock Charge to get all of your hits, which isn't guaranteed, especially if you happen to roll a one on the charge or if you're weakened, or you're going over certain types of terrain. A Knights of Castle Rock charge can absolutely wipe out a unit in one hit, but it won't always. And if you're counting on that unit being wiped out in one hit, you're probably going to be disappointed because they've still got their defense saves to make. So as far as playing aggressively, you're actually better off holding back with the Lannisters and setting up that charge with a unit that's maybe a little bit weaker than being on strength and going for that one-turn knockout. They have retribution effects with their Lannister supremacy, so they're able to sit back and maybe get you back. Uh, They have an absolute unit. I say unit with the capital U with Adam Marbrand and and Warriors that can just sit there and, and, and last almost the entire game to almost completely impervious. So they're actually a faction that has that those aggressive units that you, that you look for when you're trying to wipe stuff out. But that's not going to be the thing that you're going to want to do often. You're actually going to want to hang back, play objectives, deny your opponent things that they want to do with your cards, and play the panic game. Now, I know the panic game is very wishy-washy. I mean, your panic tests, if your opponent is failing all their panic tests, Lannisters are great. If they're passing all their panic tests, then Lannisters can be terrible. But you just try to find that happy balance between the two. And as far as uh, playing the objective, knowing when to play the objective or when to, when to run uh, or when to fight, I... Uh, I really like the double cavalry lists and sometimes triple cavalry lists. And as we were talking about with Targaryens, when you're running a bunch of cavalry, you can cover a lot of ground and you can get to an objective that might initially appear to be out of reach. So you can threaten your opponent into staying put and trying to sit in a defensive formation and then spin around and go take over for a, uh, an objective over in the corner of the board. Um, it's really difficult to, to balance that, though, because as soon as you run your eight points worth of unit out of the fight, whatever units are left are going to be pretty exposed. So you have to find that right moment in the game of where you're going to be able to get away with it. As far as uh, terrain goes, uh, course piles get tossed out a lot for the Lannisters just to, to increase your your opponent's uh, likelihood of failing their panic tests. The problem is, is those corpse piles come hindering and you lose your re-rolls. And like I just said with the Knights of Castle Rock, you're going to need your re-rolls because you're going to want to hit as many of those hits as possible. And Lannisters are woefully short on gaining re-rolls back. 
I think they only have one two-point attachment with Marshall training. They have re-rolls on Kevin NCU. Is that it? I think that's it as far, as far as their melee re-rolls go. You can get re-rolls from crossbows with, if you're in short range. But, yeah, if you're trying to get your hits in and you're, you're losing re-rolls because you went through hindering terrain, uh, that's going to set you back. And especially if you end up whiffing your attack and you don't even end up getting your re, uh, your panic attack anyway, that's as good as uh, good as your opponent passing the panic test and you're not even going to be able to benefit from it. So uh, just uh, the the whole point behind saying all that was is, is I know you're going to want to reach for a course pile, but be very mindful of where you're placing it and where you end up deploying and try your hardest to avoid having to move over or charge through those corpse piles because that, that's going to end up backfiring you unless you have some way of getting your re-rolls back. Uh, crazy enough, the exact opposite of that is Weirwood Tree. Lannister uh, morale is, is horrible. So if you can throw out some trees and be able to actually gain a boost to your morale, that's going to help you with your defense because a lot of Lannister units have really good base defense uh, stats, and if you can bolster their morale, you're going to be in good shape. Uh, a lot of the other terrain pieces, uh, again, you don't want to go with the bog because, as we said, you don't want to throw out more terrain pieces that's going to cause you to lose your, your re-rolls. Uh, palisades are good if you can funnel your opponent into potentially a kill box and, and keep them from circling around the flanks of your defensive unit. So I'd say probably palisades are a good choice. The rest of them, you could probably give or take. I think the tree, like uh, like Craig was saying, to your defense. If you can take your three defense unit and go to a two defense, that's 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 pretty good shape. And a lot of Lancer units are vulnerable to range attacks if you can manage to find that perfect little sweet spot that you're not that your opponent can't draw a line of sight through. I really hate how line of sight works in this game. It's like I can draw a line from this millimeter of my tray to that millimeter of your tray. That means I can see you and I can shoot you. And that means that these forests are almost useless as far as blocking line of sight goes. It uh it does drive me crazy. But the fortified aspect of it and bump your terra- uh, your defensive value, you can take that. Uh, that, I think, covers a, not all of what I wanted to talk about the Lancers, but a, a lot of it. Uh, Craig, you have any thoughts on Lancers? We, uh, you played against Lancers this weekend. What do you think? Uh, when it comes to Lancers, um, I always kind of, well, they're slow. Um, even their triple cab list is slow. So I just kind of let them come to me. Um, I try to play the objectives. Cracks will open, and then I swarm them one unit at a time. So it's... Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, they can't really compete with uh, the high activation lists. They they have access to four-point units with uh, with uh, Greg, but he, he for cavalry he's even slower because he's four speed as opposed to five, and then poor fellows they they just don't have the same shine as they used to have. Uh, so you're as lancers you're going to be out activated, and your opponent's going to be able to play the objective, and you're have to play a little bit more aggressively 
especially if you're out activated on the field, you're going to have to try to balance that as soon as you can. Uh, but you're going to have to, again, you have to pick your spots because like I did in, in my game with, with Craig, I had Drogo flayed men sitting right across from me. And I thought that I could make a, a big dent. And I ended up doing, uh, what did I do? Nine wounds? No, eight wounds. I did eight wounds to Drogo flayed men, but he was able to retreat and get out of there. And I never touched Drogo flayed men again. And after investing all of my offense, in my Tywin bomb and my, my Knights of Castle rock charge, it, it didn't kill him. So, uh, yeah. What, what you got there, Dave? Um, I didn't want to interrupt you. Uh, but one thing that came to mind and I might've missed it, uh, but, uh, warrior sons, they give uh rerolls, don't they? With their faith token. No, oh, yeah, that's right. I think so. Max that- attack dice. No, it's one of those two. Yeah, I think it's uh, sundering and rerolls. Um, so that uh, that could be one viable option. I mean, they're already considered good. Uh, so if maybe you wanted to purposely throw out um, uh, low walls or uh, uh, the course pile, bogs, stuff like that, knowing that you can charge over them and your opponent can't in a lot of situations, uh, could be one viable uh, option. But, yeah, I tend to agree. Lannisters are definitely not very straightforward. Um, at least most lists uh, aren't. You know, they really heavily rely on a lot of their, I'll just call it trickery, you know, their morale stuff, you know, their panic-based faction with a lot of uh, counterplay uh, Simon has definitely done a, a decent job with giving them other tools, so that's not like their own only stick. But uh, in more of the competitive scene, uh, other factions just tend to do it better. Uh, and the other downside is that Lannister's like big thing that they're about is the panic, and a lot of like the really successful lists, not all of them have generally above average uh, morale, which kind of, you know, it makes it more of an uphill battle for uh, for Lannisters, for sure. Um, but they definitely, uh, you know, there's definitely really cool things you can kind of do with the terrain with them. And uh, I've always really liked the Lannisters. Um, you know, they're definitely not like my top faction or, you know, they're they're probably third, fourth, or something like that, or like fourth, fifth, if you count Martells. Granted, I'm putting Martells on the list, even though I've never played them. So, <laughs> uh, But yeah, I like, uh, I like, I agree with practically everything you guys have said. Um, Objective-wise, I think Planners uh, um, have some great options for uh, objective holders. So, you know, you can kind of sit on objectives with a lot of uh, units, especially if you play the terrain to uh, really benefit you. Um, You know, Lannister Guardsmen with no attachment, just five-point investment, and unless they're going to, you know, almost any other five- or six-pointer is not going to want to go one-on-one against them without, like, some other outside effects, like, influences or tactics cards or something you know they're just a lot of times 
their morale, uh, the Lannister supremacy is just going to eat them away. Targaryens are a great counter to that, you know, um, with their naturally high uh, morale. But you could always throw, like, a corpse pile in front of, let's just assume you're playing um, the five objective. If you're playing five objective, you just throw it in between the two objectives on either the left or right side. You have your... Um, now you, they have to either charge over it, get no rerolls, and it's another minus one modifier. Or if it's three objective, you uh, you you know you put it in between the objectives, so it's still going to influence. Now, granted, they're only a four move, so you might have some trouble getting to that objective first. But you know, with a free maneuver, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you can grab it if you take the free maneuver and then have the first action in the next round. Because um, what, you go 10, you march 8, another 4, so that's, um, what, 22? So you, you would, uh, I think, just be barely out. So, I don't know, I'd have to look at it, like, on the table. But um, I like Guardsmen for... for you know, just kind of being a cheap five point for guard, uh, for Lannisters to help them with uh, uh, saving those points to invest in other things like Knights of Castle Rock and uh, and other things. All right, so um, next we can kind of talk about. I'll do one of my uh, uh, the, one of the main factions I've been playing lately, and that uh, I'll just do the Greyjoys since I've kind of already. Uh, talked about them a little bit, but as far as uh, terrain, I almost exclusively go with the happy trees. Um, with uh, well, I should uh, I should say, if I'm running Balon or Balor or pretty much anything but Victorian, I'm going with the happy tree. You know, the weirwood tree, um, because I'm already like making my list have really good morale that those trees will really, you know, cause other than like iron makers, which I'm not a huge fan of, I think they're, I still think they're good. It's just not really my play style. Um, uh, Greyjoys don't have great defense. And so, uh, I usually, uh, supplement that with better morale. Um, and so a weirwood tree for Greyjoys can really put them over the edge for, you know, for some, uh, you know, you're going to be passing almost all your morales, even with, like, modifiers and stuff, like negative modifiers. Um, for example, uh, like my Balon list. Uh, I'll throw Balon uh, in a unit give with the Iron Resolve so I can get a plus one, uh, minus one to the damage. Then I'll take... Uh, a lot of times I'll take two-point Carl, and I'll put him in his own unit uh, for that stalwart and expert duelist. Um, and then I'll take, like, a unit of silencemen, and I'll take one-point Asha, who will make whatever unit she's in, a five. Uh, and then um, with acceptable sacrifices, it will give a unit uh, – it'll – what that one does is you attach 20 of your units, and now they have basically an emboldened bubble. Uh, for other units, it doesn't work on themselves, but then they take one more extra wound when they fail panic tests. But between all of these modifiers, and then if you throw a tree in there and your opponent doesn't throw a corpse pile, 
you make all of these chaff type units be a lot more defensive than they look, similar to the way berserkers are uh, defensive for their profile. You know, that five up defense with a five up morale and then unyielding, or even pre-2021, back in 1.6, when they were a five up uh, defense and a four up morale, um, you know, they're a lot more defensive than people give them credit for, for, you know, being a a five point, six point unit, uh, granted seven points for Berserkers back in 1.6, but um, yeah, I think, you know, a tree is definitely a good way to go if you're running any sort of uh, morale already in your list. Um, as far as Victorian, I personally like to run uh, uh, bogs because a lot of the times I can get my rerolls back. I can also ignore that, um, or not ignore the minus one, but if I'm getting my auto six charge card with Victorian, I can really, you know, minimize the, uh, you know, the factoring, you know, if it's going to make my charge harder. I just have to know that, you know, my overall charge is going to be a little less, but I at least still know if I'm going to get in or not. Um, another one that I like with uh, um, with my Victorian, or I guess with any Greyjoy list where you have Field by Slaughter, um, I will, if I think it will benefit me, um, I'll throw some stakes out there or a Palisade, um, especially a Palisade with uh, I know a, a very popular option is uh, Asha Trappers. I'll have Asha Trappers, which is only five-point unit, sit on an objective with a palisade in front of them. And then by the time the unit that's across from them gets to the palisade, finally gets to Asha with the disrupt and her morale uh, and the ability of healing from the Greyjoys, uh, is just so much work for most factions that they just leave you alone. And now you're this five-point unit sitting on an objective, getting you a point every round, that now has a war cry that can still benefit your army. What do you guys think? So as far as Greyjoys go, I I don't have a whole lot of experience running them, but I do tend to see them played as a more aggressive style. Uh, you have a lot of units that gain benefits off of knocking ranks off, and that that encourages you to get into combat and and start swinging. And like I was saying, to start a show, that very often is not rewarded because sometimes those attacks will fail to have the impact that you were hoping for, and you might have put yourself in a position to get retaliated against. And units like you know reavers or or reapers. Uh, they don't have the defense to stay in there in prolonged combat and swing back and forth. So as far as how you should play Greyjoys as far as aggression goes, uh, your units seem like that they want to be aggressive, but that, that, that may not be how you want to play them. You may want to include you know, Iron Makers in your list or, or Bowmen or Trappers, and try to lure your opponent into 
essentially a kill box to allow your other units to be able to surround them and, and pounce and be able to destroy them. There are, like I mentioned, commanders like Vitarian that give out assault orders to allow you to get those free charges that you might be able to double tap a unit and maybe kill them that way. Uh, but th that might be one of the reasons why Greyjoys have struggled is because it appears to have that incentive of you must play this faction aggressively. And that's just not how the game is played right now. That's not really the meta of, you know, see opponent, opponent. Uh, as far as terrain goes, it's funny. I was thinking about uh, terrain with this new that we were about the other day that features three drowned men and drowned men have me pulling my hair out especially when you place three of them on the table I look at the drowned men and I see that they have the giant ability and the only one for failed panic test with a really good morale stat and that they can heal each other and be almost a for most melee units in the game. You're going to need something like a Ranger Hunters or Lance Cavalry to be able to kill them. And if you do something like put bogs or corpse piles or forests in front of them, that would be incredibly difficult to kill if you're losing your charge bonuses or if they get the plus one to their defense with that giant ability. Because I know they save on sixes. But it's very common for your opponent to roll sixes when they're defending, even if they should be saving on eight because they're being charged flank and you have sundering. Sixes still count. And if you can give them plus one defense and now they're saving on fives, that could be an entire wound that they don't take because they rolled one five instead of uh, saving on sixes and, and that five not counting so or actually yeah one wound two wounds it's too late in the night to be doing math now uh but yeah i, I just i just think about the terrain options that you could have just an almost in, unkillable wall of drowned men uh forests are a good choice if you can put your bowman in a forest and be able to shoot out of it and potentially not get shot back. That is always a perk. Uh, that doesn't really work for your melee units because you want to be able to move your melee units around, but when you're using ranged units, that's a good place to hide as any. Uh, as far as playing the objective versus not, again, we talked about the need for to be able to go out and kill things to be able to get their pillage tokens and make their units uh, as strong as they can, because I, I think we've talked about before with the pillage mechanic as it is, and there's a lot of people that don't really like the pillage mechanic. With no pillage tokens, your unit is overcosted. You're paying more for for less, basically. When you have one pillage token, your unit is fairly costed. If you have two pillage tokens, your unit is undercosted. That you're actually overperforming for what you paid for the unit. That's a lot to ask in a game unless you are able to get the jump on an opponent and start knocking breaks out early. Your your units are going to be lagging behind for most of the game. And I think we've 
had some discussion with that, maybe not on the show, but in the discords of, of people just not really happy. Like it was a cool idea, the pillage mechanic, but in practice, it's been a bit of a struggle. So because of that, again, you're encouraged to be in combat. You're not necessarily playing the objectives very often, unless you're able to put a, a more, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, passive unit like bowmen or trappers on an objective and let them just sit there while your aggressive units go uh, and try to to do their uh, alpha strikes. Uh, I think that about covers the topics for them. Did you have anything left for Craig? Oh, Craig dropped. Uh, oh, okay. Um no, I think that great choice. Um, I think uh, what you said about the drowned men is definitely true. I've had, uh, I guess I do have one more thing. I've had, I haven't had a lot of games with drowned men, but the games I've had, um, I've kind of missed Bowman when I take them, but that's not to say that they're not great. Uh, I've, uh, <laughs> I used the my auto six charge card to have them charge a unit of flayed men and then just sit there as they tank Slademan hits, and then I just heal them. Um, and, you know, it it, uh, it can be kind of silly how resilient they are. Um, with, I think, in any other faction, uh, not, not necessarily any other faction, but I think in most other factions, they wouldn't be nearly as good because of the healing. It's because you, for every one wound you heal on them, it's essentially healing two wounds. And we've kind of said that about giants because that's, you know, since the giant rule applies to all hits um, from effects or attacks, you essentially, if you heal one wound, you know, it takes two hits to take out that one wound. So you're essentially healing two. So Greyjoys can heal so much that it makes drowned men just so good um, for their cost. Uh, I know others have kind of think, you know, have kind of said that, uh, you know, the drowned men aren't very good, but I don't know. I think in context, when you compare it to bowmen, then yeah, it's, it's a tough choice to take them over bowmen, but let's just say bowmen weren't even an option. Uh, so I think comparing to other options in a faction can kind of drag down the the rating of a unit. So I think it's usually best to kind of rate a unit just as the unit, not against its other uh, the other options you could take. Um, though there's an argument that could be said for both, you know, for both views. Uh, I just think that um, if you're truly trying to figure out how good a particular unit is, you know, just try to, you know, judge it based on based on what it is and what you're given and what it can do within a faction not what can do better uh but yeah that's about that's all i kind of have left for the great joys um so in unrelated news it turns out that you and i are going to be playing each other week one in our uh, fantasy football league yep i knew that uh from the get-go so i picked my entire team to uh do well week one. Well, you should always do that. You don't <laughs> have to just treat me special. 
I'm joking. <laughs> but um what was it? Uh oh yeah, so I think uh what was it we done Greyjoys, we did uh Lannisters and Targaryens. Uh did you wanna uh we both kinda have about the same amount of I think uh practice with them. You wanna talk about Baratheons? Yeah, we could talk about Baratheons. So uh, Baratheons, I think if there is a faction that plays in the play, let me rephrase. If there was a faction that fits the play defensively model and don't play aggressively model, that would be the Baratheons. They're definitely the type of faction that you're going to want to hang back let your opponent break themselves on your defense and then counterattack. Go for broke. <laughs> Much, yeah. Your your opponent is going to have a hard time with a lot of the Baratheon armor. And even if they do break through, you have cards in the Baratheon deck that's going to retaliate or potentially blunt the damage that's done. Uh, I said that the only three things can happen when you attack a Baratheon unit. Either A, you do less damage than you thought you were going to do. B, you take or you get punished for attacking. Or where was I? Did I say one A or B or C? I can't even remember now. It's really late. I should be sleeping. <laughs> uh, one. <laughs> One, uh, <laughs> you don't do as much damage as you thought you were going to do. B, you get punished. I did it again. C, you get punished a lot. Uh, they have Baratheon Conviction, which will heal if they pass their panic test. Uh, so take whatever damage you did, be it you know three or four wounds, and you know subtract two from that. Or they have Baratheon Justice, which them and then you get to take two and potentially three tokens in return for your trouble or they have final strike in hand and you're going to end up taking wounds hit which will become wounds especially if you don't have a very good defense save on your unit uh, for your trouble all because you just dared to attack them it's uh, it could be Frustrating. It was frustrating for me for a long time until I actually picked up the Baratheons, but I just don't have the the running experience with them to be able to take the most advantage. I found that out at Nationals. But as far as yeah. playing aggressively, yeah, they they are not the aggressive type. And their most aggressive commander, Andrew Estimod, which actually points out the, the, the fact is that the, Andrew is actually their worst commander because he leans uh, more into aggression than, than hanging back and and being able to benefit from those retaliation effects. Uh, as far as playing the objective, that's what you want to start doing when you're playing Baratheons. You want to pick a side of the table and say, this side of the table is mine, and I'm going con- to control all of these objectives and the center just on, on this section. Now, th- this is probably a good point time to bring up. Uh, splitting up your forces is hardly ever a good idea, especially if you're only running seven activations, which the Baratheons typically do. 
sometimes they'll run eight, but seven is is typically where they're at. Your temptation when you're playing five objective modes or even three objective modes is to spread out and try to cover as much as possible. But that's the problem. You've you've spread yourself out, and your units are going to be able to cover each other. With Baratheons, you want to keep everybody close together. And when your opponent makes the decision to go ahead and charge in, your units are going to be able to get to them. Because not, one of the big reasons why is because of your slow speed that you have as Baratheons. You don't want to be trying to cover a distance to try to make your opponent pay for charging you. You just want to keep everybody together. So that's why you should pick just a half of the table and focus on that and try to to control those objectives there and try to punish your opponent for for charging in. Uh, as far as terrain goes, avoid bogs as much as you can. That minus one movement speed is going to really hurt units like Champions of the Stag, especially if your opponent has ways of slowing you down like Hidden Traps or Egret. I mean, Egret and Hidden Traps on top of a bog can slow you down to one inch movement, uh, which is not fun. It's happened to me before. Uh, they prefer the trees, the uh, weirwood trees, to improve their defense even more, so they could, they're almost assured to pass their Baratheon Conviction test and heal their two wounds back. Also, be able to pass their to the last. I don't think any other faction has two actual units that have to the last. I think everybody else has uh, them on attachments. Is that right? Yeah, there's only two other instances that I know of. It's Great John Attachment and um, Baylor Commander. Yeah, just just having it come with the unit is is so good. I mean, it's it's just there when you need it. Your opponent can just invest so much into trying to kill one of these units and still potentially not be able to because they're able to not die twice. Uh, and it's not even a tactics card. It's just on the unit. Other terrain you might consider? Probably Palisades. Um, palisades to try to limit your opponent to keep them from surrounding you or uh, breaking through on certain lanes. Uh, might avoid stakes because especially when you're dealing with, you know, high-cost units like the Champions of the Stag, you don't want to be in a position where, well, I can't move my Champions of the Stag because they'll go through these stakes and I'll end up losing, you know, potentially four wounds on this two-armor unit. Uh, using terrain pieces like that can backfire pretty easily. Uh, what were you going to say there, Dave? I was going to say, uh, did you mention forests? Uh, no, no I, was, I hadn't mentioned them yet. I was going to say forests uh, are a really good option, especially uh, for your more defensive units because of, like Craig was saying with this Targaryens, is just the footprint, just how big it is, allows you to potentially uh, make it to where you could have your front and one of your flanks being guarded by this tree, um, just really making it nearly impossible to crack through a unit. 
um, especially champions of the stag who already have a two-up. That means that even if your opponent had a semi-answer with like something with Sundering, uh, now it's it's just going to bounce off you because you're still going to have that two-up save. Yeah, and, and champions of the stag, they're just they're such a good unit right now, uh, and they're not even a unit that you need to play too aggressively. In fact, you can throw a unit of the the champions of the stag out in the middle of the table and just simply bait your opponent into charging them. It's like, yeah, they're there. Go ahead. And they, they'll, they'll charge them. Maybe even at the start of a round, it's like, oh, well, I got to charge them before they charge me. Well, they charge you. They do a couple of wounds. You pass your panic test. They heal those wounds back. And now you have the sword to be able to attack them back and get a vulnerable token because now you're engaged and it, it ends up being just total bad news for that ch- unit that just charged. Charged. So they are definitely the epitome of hanging back, playing defensively, don't be too aggressive, focus on your positioning, and have a plan. You know, a couple moves ahead if your opponent decides to to get too far out in front, uh, you'll be able to take advantage of it. I could almost guarantee it. Yeah, and I think uh, champions kind of overshadow a unit that I think is very good. A lot of people, I think, would disagree. Um, who was that? That was my phone deciding to make some noise. Sorry about that. <laughs> I thought maybe you added a new uh, audio clip. I'm like, what oh. in the world? <laughs> um, uh, but... Um, one unit in particular, especially if you're going to factor terrain, that I think is really good, is uh, um, Stagnites. Um, if you can give them that defensive trait to give them a plus one defense, I think can go a long way. Um, because, you know, that I think they're only, in my opinion, their only one real weakness is a four-up defense. Uh, and when you can make it a three-up defense with that resilience, um, you know, it really makes them hard to move. Granted, you know, you won't get that defensive every time, but um, it's just something to add in there. Because, you know, we talk about how often, I mean, often lately we talk about how good battle endurance is as a card. And they essentially have a version of it as their ability. Um and I think if you, as a Baratheon player, that you don't want to just run in guns blazing, you kind of want your opponent to come to you, means that you want the game to go on to later rounds anyways. Um, which means once these guys, you know, get going, they really hit hard. Now, again, Champions of Stag being so good right now kind of puts a dent in these guys. To be totally honest, though, I think the only thing that champions of the stack have over these guys is uh, that uh, Calvary maneuver. Um, if it wasn't for that, I, I think these guys would still be better. You know, a two-up, five-up, or a uh, or a four-up with resilience and a five-up. And the other uh, great thing about the Stagnites is being infantry, granted we're going to be getting mounted Stannis soon, being infantry, they have 
all the different commanders as options that you could throw in these guys to make them even better. Uh, but in combination with, you know, like I was saying, a defensive uh, uh, piece of terrain, whether it be the forest or the uh, low wall, can really, you know, your opponent's not simply not going to want to charge you. Even if they're really a really strong offensive unit, I mean, especially if you're going over that low wall, trying to take these guys out with no re-rolls, and they have a three-up uh, with uh, resilience and then a five-up, you know, it, you just ask yourself, is it even worth it at that point? Yeah, that's true. I can I can understand that. And they're definitely overshadowed. The, the, it's not just them, though. Whenever you're dealing with eight-point infantry, you're always stuck with the questions like, okay, well, well do I want this eight-point infantry unit or do I want heavy cavalry? And often it ends up going to heavy cavalry. Uh, but the stag knights, they are really good. And they're, they're another one of those units that uh, you're going to want to play even though so you, you look at them, it's like, okay, I want to hit stuff with these guys. Not necessarily. You definitely don't want to overextend them because that resilience order can be overwhelmed if you're getting attacked multiple times. And you're not going to want to charge these guys in early because they haven't unlocked all the keywords yet. So as counterintuitive as it seems uh, for what you would seem to think is an aggressive unit, these guys don't even have a deteriorating attack profile. Uh, you want to hang back with these guys and have them kind of mop up. And when you're looking at it as far as that role goes, it's like you don't really want an eight-point you know, mop-up unit uh, or a unit that you have to hang back with until later in the game. But that is the Baratheon playstyle. You know, they they want to hang back. They want these long, drawn-out slots of matches where you're you know got a bunch of units that are engaged and just swinging back and forth and Baratheons are going to win those matches because they just hang in there for longer than their opponent can so yeah I think that uh, back covers Baratheons all right so next we could talk about uh let's do Starks so I haven't Starks. played a lot of Starks yeah, I haven't played them a lot lately, but, you know, Starks used to be my main go-to. You know, I, I ran them at every major event pre-2021. Um, I still like them a lot, uh, especially, you know, the new sculpts and the new hero box um, have definitely, uh, I'll say, revitalized a lot of my interest in them. But they're still kind of, instead of, like, top of the pack, they're kind of middle of the pack for factions that I like to play. Um, but I would say, as, as far as their playstyle goes and what they're looking to do, uh, it's it's hard to say. You know, they're, they have so many cool, interesting playstyles. But I guess if, if we're just going to talk about, like, the, you know, because we don't have time to talk about every playstyle and every, you know, avenue of of it, We'll just kind of we'll we'll stick with what a lot of people are playing, and that's you know kind of the more activation heavy uh, lists, you know, with Rick on given summer, um, and then uh, you know just running like that eight or nine activation lists. Uh, you're looking at Great John 
and Tully uh, Cavaliers, uh, Eddard and his honor guard. Again, like Tully Cavaliers are almost staple in a lot of the most competitive lists just because of how hard hitting they are. Um, and that embolden is priceless. You know, if, so with that said, um, again, I'm going to go straight to the probably, you know, a lot of people would say is the, the cop-out option. And I would say the, the weirwood tree, um, if we're specifically talking this, these type of lists. And that's because that embolden, because Starks already have, like barely above, uh, depending on what you're taking, barely above average uh, morale. You know, a lot of sixes everywhere. Um, some fives, but a lot of sixes. But now you add embolden and a weirwood tree, and now you've, you know, because they have average to good morale as well. Um, or sorry, uh, armor. Average to good armor as well, depending on what you're taking. So now uh, you're super defensive in my opinion you know you're looking at let's just say on average you're looking at a four up six up um you're now looking at a potential of four up five up or four up four up because if you're within both uh six inch bubbles of that tree and that embolden uh not only that then you can pair like i don't know if i would go with two trees because then you might be having too much overlap I would say a tree and then another defensive uh, piece. Um, you know, bogs wouldn't be bad because Starks have a lot of ways of getting rerolls on their attack or something, say a low wall. Again, because you're still getting no rerolls, but that plus one defense um, can really go a long way. I mean, even let's just say Eddard's Honor Guard, could you imagine? Uh, trying to go over that thing, you're going to give them a two-up defense. And if the Tully Cavaliers and the tree are nearby, you're looking at, because they're normally a six, Eddard makes them a five, and the two buffs will make them a three. So they'd be a two-up, three-up uh, unit if you had to go over that low wall. Um, I think, because, uh, I don't know, it sound I guess it could sound a bit repetitive. My, that's I guess maybe a, a, just the nature of my play style. I love offensive builds with supplemental defense because uh, I think there's so many ways between positioning, you know, maneuvering your stuff, and just outside effects that can give you defense way more than there are outside effects that can give you the offense by player skill. You know, you can rely on, like, your tactics cards and stuff, but as far as, like, the ter the terrain elements, there's a lot of terrain elements that give you defensive effects, but there's none that's like, oh, you know, if you're in this piece of terrain, you now have Sundering. So if you're paying for that offense in your list, you can work other ways to get the defense uh, from uh, from other other things. So the Starks have... I don't think they have the widest variety of different play styles as far as their commanders go, but they do cover a lot of bases. Now, to go to how should you play them, it really will depend on which commander you choose. If you're going with Great John, you might have a access to one of the most reliable one-shots in the game with Tully Cavaliers and Berserker Tactics. Now I mentioned about how 
easily your attempt at a one-shot could go awry. But when you have a card that's going to guarantee that your opponent takes four wounds on top of the dice that you roll, that really narrows that uh, that uh, chance of something going wrong. With uh, Catlin being able to remove tokens just by simply influencing a unit, you can keep those Tully Cavaliers from becoming weakened very easily. So if you're going to play aggressively and go for that you know, one-shot kill and, and, and try to, to get a jump on your opponent, Great John's a good choice. Uh, Great John, in fact, uh, not with that specific combination, but with a Great John list, uh, just won nationals this year. We, you know, we had uh, uh, we had Luke on the show, and uh, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was quite a is uh, quite a run that the Starks had, even though they were maligned there for a little while. They were you know hovering there at the bottom of stats there for quite a while, and then boom. Here they come. So you got your aggressive play styles, and then you have some commanders like Rob or uh, is that Brendan Tully, uh, Ed Stark. That uh, he uh, those guys might want to play the uh, position game a little bit more. Uh, have the opponent come to them. You know, as much as as bad as I've talked about Rob Stark's card, the superior positioning. That's a card that you might want to allow your opponent to uh, to come to you and, and pop a surprise uh, disorderly charge on them. But again, it's only going to have an effect 50% of the time. I just hate that card. I just had to mention it again one more time, even though I'm sure people are probably sick of me mentioning that. Uh, let's see. What else should we talk about as far as Starks go? Uh, able uh, to play the objective game because of their access to wolves. They can cover a lot of bases if they're running multiple wolves while keeping their infantry and cavalry you know, occupying the opponent's units. Uh, that's one thing. I don't think I think we might have failed to mention uh, solos playing that role in the other factions, but that's definitely something Starks have done in the past and something that they could still do is just use their three-point solo units and have them cover objectives. I mean, that's that's the bare minimum that you could spend uh, to cover objectives in this game now because anything that's cheaper is not allowed to score points from objectives. So that's something that Starks in particular do over uh, other factions. What were you going to say, Dave? I was just going to add on to the Rob Stark uh, thing, kind of to talk a little more about the objective side of the tactics is mm-hmm. you know, I've mentioned this before, but one thing I absolutely love doing with Rob is just running him in as a cheap five point commander unit in some Kranigman trackers and you put uh, like a defensive piece of terrain and that defensive terrain because of the trackers can be a number of things. It can be the bog because they have traps, so they can give a minus two on top of that card. Um, and then, uh, or you could do something a little more defensive, just anything to help them survive. 
and you maneuver onto an objective so that the objective is at the back half of your tray, or not half, but the very back of your tray, and then every time they attack you, they attack you, and then you just retreat from them. And then you retreat, triggers Rob's uh, order to let them heal, and you just keep doing it all game. This five-point unit that is just retreating one, and every time you retreat, you just retreat one inch. So that way, nothing else can charge you from the front unless they have some outside effect to move their unit out of the way um, or to, I guess, recharge you. But this obviously is not going to work on just any unit. You know, if you don't want to, like, you don't want to expect to be able to survive uh, very well against, like, a like a Lance Cav charge. But just let's say, like, a, a an average unit. Let's just say, I don't know, um, I don't know, just think of just any average uh, uh, unit out there, and you'll be able to tank their hit, retreat, and then now they're wasting all this time and effort for a unit that they're probably never going to get to kill before it's too late. And even when they kill it, finally, uh, it's just one victory point, and it was just a five-point unit. Uh, and then Rob is still doing what he needs to do with you know the repos with his reposition order and uh, just other stuff. So especially if you're looking for a reason to run some chronic bin trappers, not that they're bad, but they definitely are more of a a niche unit, you know, that um, that you kind of want to build uh, them to support the list in a certain way. Uh, I think Rob, Commander, in them is a great option. Yeah, speaking of uh, niche units that may not be run as often as they should, uh, when talking about terrain in the Starks, you got to look at Howland Reed. Howland Reed Commander, Howland Reed NCU. Uh, that allows you to play so many different tricks with this with the terrain. Uh, it, just as NCU, it's five points, and a lot of people first you know tend to focus around giving the influenced unit minus one to hit, but it also has them treat all terrain as having hindering and rough. I mean that's a big deal. Uh, and it, it allows you to put terrain out on the field that benefits you and can severely, you know, hinder your opponent if they're being influenced by Howland Reed. Uh, then you don't have to worry about it having, you know, hindering or rough because it's not going to affect you. It's only going to affect your opponent. That is really, really cool. Uh, and his commander is even better because it can give terrain pieces dangerous uh so you can throw out that weirwood tree and have it inspire you while potentially driving fear into your opponent because they might take wounds every time they move through it uh, stuff like that i wish i played starks more i got to play around with that stuff because that just seems so fun to me i just have not played that many stark games as of late i almost played starks in the uh and I was really tempted to run Howland. But after Baratheon fell in the ELO standings, I was like, I'll run Baratheon. And I'm just not having as much fun with that as I think I would have with a Howland list. Other terrain options. Uh, Starks have access to a little bit more rerolls than other factions do. Another underplayed uh, attachment 
in the game, I think, is the uh, uh, Sworn Sword Captain that gives martial training. I mean, martial training is a tremendous ability. Uh, and you see units like, you know, Champions of Static that we've already talked about that just hand out vulnerable tokens when they're attacking. It works the same for martial training, and you're getting rerolls out of it. So if you have a unit of Berserkers uh, that that are, if they're influenced by Catlin, they're rolling nine dice, then they have a martial training, so they get their rerolls and a vulnerable token out of it. They're going to be hitting pretty pretty hard. Um, you could also throw out stakes if you're really wanting to play, you know, dangerously. Because uh, berserkers, they get stronger as they take wounds, and you just run your berserkers over the over the stakes and uh, and try to get your opponent. And they were too scared to to move through the stakes to get you, and you just like ah, I don't, I'm gonna get stronger anyway. Uh, that type of stuff, it, it's a little bit on the fringe of of actual tactics that you're gonna want to play, but you have options as far as that goes. Uh, did we have anything else that we wanted to talk about as far as Starks go? Um, maybe just, uh, could always add, uh, you know, along the lines of, you know, running over stakes, um, killing your own shaggy dog can be, uh, devastating if you're running great John and you do, uh, um, to the last and then play, uh, was it berserker tactics on him? Not that you'll get uh, not that he's considered, uh, um, umber, but, um, he just becomes like a unit killer at that point with all the buffs. Yeah, so you, you decide you're going to play super aggressively. Uh, you can turn Shaggy Dog into a fire and forget missile, basically. Just ha- have him charge at the unit, and you can, if he's already taken a wound some in the game, you can end up intentionally killing your Shaggy Dog, to uh, which will add four wounds onto his first attack, then he'll die, and then he'll do a last stand, which will end up being eight dice with Thundering and Vicious, because he'll count having four wounds on his tray, which will give him four additional attack dice. It is pretty wild stuff. So if you are playing aggressively and you don't really care about your uh, your you know good doggo anymore, uh, you can just have him uh, suicide himself and and uh, potentially wipe out an entire tray of infantry. It's uh, pretty wild stuff you can pull off there. Yep. But I think that's about it. So we can, right. I think, move on before uh, we spend the whole show talking about half of the factions. Right. Um, so I guess we have to talk about them. Let's just get stupid old Night's Watch out of the way. <laughs> oh, stupid old Night's um, Watch. See, when you said you were reluctant to talk about them, I thought we were reluctant to talk about Free Folk. We don't need to give them any airtime, <laughs> I don't think. Oh, are you talking about Free Folk, the faction that needs some buffs? Uh, well, <laughs> they, they can have all the buffs they want if they never get insignificant ever again. <laughs> um. But yeah, so Night's Watch, um, probably be best if Brett was on for this one. I don't know about you. I've played against Night's Watch like uh, quite a bit, so I definitely could speak to that aspect. But because one of my, uh, probably my second most played against opponent is uh, a Night's Watch player, uh, Night's Watch is one of the 
factions I've played the least. How about you? Do you have uh, any experience with playing as them? Yeah, I uh, ran the heck out of Night's Watch in 1.5 and 1.6. I did shelve them at the beginning of 2021 when Othel was the big bad. Uh, it just it wasn't going to be fun for any of my opponents to play me at that point in time, so I ended up shelving them and focused on Lannisters. Uh, but when the Season 1 patch hit, I brought the Night's Watch back out, and I played them almost exclusively for a good several months. Uh, I do enjoy the Night's Watch. They are fun. As far as uh, the first topic that, that I brought up in the in the show, as far as it, how to play them, you know, being patient, playing aggressive, uh, you can play the Night's Watch aggressively because they are capable of hitting pretty hard, and with their access to the Watch Captain, your charge isn't your last offensive action for the unit for the round because they're going to have follow-up attacks. Uh, so you can, at the start of a round, charge your swarm brothers in or your ranger hunters in, and they're going to have more options throughout the round because of relentless or the tactics board or cards. Uh, so you're not going to be as stuck as some other factions can be. So it will depend on which commander you're running. If you're running Cotter Pike, he's just all, he's just pure aggression. Every single one of his cards is an offensive card. Uh, but if you're playing with a unit, you know, let, let's say you're running a defensive commander like Donald Noy. He has a card that allows you to be aggressive and run your unit up in the middle of the field. They could be getting surrounded, and you could be fine because they get plus one defense and your opponent doesn't get uh, bonuses for charging or flank or, or rear. So... It is it is kind of interesting the options that uh, that Night's Watch are able to get from their commanders. Uh, Jon Snow, you know, he's able to bring a wolf, which will allow you to, uh, you know, boost your activations up and be able to get a nice little one-two punch, which it doesn't actually get played very often. But when you do play it, that one-two punch, uh, you could potentially wipe out a unit uh, by activating Jon Snow and then follow up in that same turn, activating Ghost and having Ghost charge in. Uh, now, as far as playing the objective, it's very difficult for Night's Watch to simply sit on an objective if they're going to be contested because they don't really have the defense for that. They don't have any units uh, that are any stronger than four defense. They have good morale, but that just doesn't ha uh, stand up to the, the plethora of free hits that are being introduced into the game as of late. It's getting pretty wild. Uh, and then also any heavy cavalry, they're going to have a hard time standing up against. So you're going to have to wait for that moment in the game where you see an opportunity where you can sneak maybe ghost away or cold hands. You could potentially teleport him across the field after he dies to go sit on an objective for three or four rounds and, and score some points uh, as opposed to keeping him in combat. And maybe he won't be as effective in killing units as he could have been sitting on objectives. As far as terrain goes, uh, the field is wide open. 
I think Night's Watch are able to take advantage of almost every terrain piece in the game because of their Sworn Brothers uh, uh, native martial training. They're going to be able to get their rerolls back, and they have a card and uh, like the Brings to Dawn that's able to get rerolls back. They don't mind having to charge through, you know, bogs or corpse piles to be able to get to their opponent. Uh, they do enjoy forests to be able to bolster their defense, and if they can get their crossbows or even their uh, ranger hunters into a forest where they can't be seen, that really helps uh, their their units you know stay alive and keep from getting shot. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, they don't mind corpse piles because their morale is, tends to be pretty good, and they'll prefer you know trying to make their opponent fail their panic tests while they're holding on with uh, probably an average of a six with the single corpse pile. Uh, but weirwood trees, you know, they're fine with those too because they'll they'll take their five morale to a four, and and good luck getting them to fail those. Although I failed a few four saves as of late. Um. I think that about about covers it. What uh, what do you got? Um, I would say Night's Watch have always given me a hard time. I know there's people out there that'll say that Night's Watch aren't that bad anymore. Uh, and I, you know, they're really high on stats, so they're still very good. Um, if I last time I think I checked, but I think for me, uh, problem is. I play a lot of competitive and a lot of casual. Uh, I go to a lot of events, all I shouldn't say all over the country, but you know, quite a few out-of-state events, um, whether it just be in Wisconsin or it be uh, um, in Indianapolis, Ohio, stuff like that, um, or even bigger events in my own state. But then, you know, when I play with my locals. Uh, we're very, uh, we like to break it up into casual, semi-competitive, and competitive. And I would say 90% of our games are, uh, um, 90% of our games are usually semi-competitive. Now, these are the lists where, you know, they're not the most opt- optimal thing out there. They're not, you know, going to ruin anyone's day because they're just so over-tweaked that, uh, you know. So with that said, we've found that in all of our testing in ca- or in semi-competitive play or even casual, that Night's Watch are, in our opinion, our playgroup's opinion, easily the best faction, hands down, for casual, semi-competitive play. Um, they're just naturally just that good um, with what tools they have. Um, now, I will admit that the more like competitive you go, like especially on TTS and some of the best players in the country and the world, I should say, not country, um, I think it does take Night's Watch down uh, a couple pegs, um, and that's a good thing. But I think, I don't know, there's just something about them at the casual and semi-competitive level that they're just ridiculously good. Um, but with that said, I think Night's Watch, uh, 
coming from an opponent aspect of it. Uh, Night's Watch, you know, like you were saying, terrain, like they can go with practically any option. Um, I think uh, because a lot of times you'll see uh, a four, a four three, you know, four activation or four combat units, three NCUs. Uh, they love palisades that narrow the field a bit, uh, kind of funnel your opponent into almost one side of the field, um, close up some lanes for these, uh, like, cavalry lists. Now, they do kind of have somewhat of a weak uh, weakness to heavy cav. Uh, I forget if you had already mentioned that. Um, but... Uh, I think there's definitely things that they can do to mitigate that, um, uh, like bogs and stuff. If if the heavy cab don't have a good way to um, get rerolls, let's just say uh, I don't know, tele cavaliers. Um, let's say they don't have rerolls or anything. If you can put a bog in there to make them not get rerolls. And then on top of that, if you have like vets for the to make them have a minus one to hit. Now, even though you might have uh, what is it? Uh, is it ten dice, nine dice on the charge for uh, cavalry? Ten. Ten. Ten dice hitting on fours with no rerolls, uh, and then they're going to take that many hits back. Not not that counter strike's going to like be uber good in this case, but I think. Uh, I think bogs are often their friends, um, like you were saying, uh, especially with when they have something like martial training built into one of their most popular options uh, with the Sworn Brothers. I think uh, I think a lot of times bog is going to be the go-to. Now they don't, if I recall, have any sort of hidden traps in the whole army, um, so they're not going to be able to do some of the combos the way that. Uh, um, you can with free folk and or like I was mentioning with Rob and the uh, Kranigman trappers, but I still think that bog is going to be their go-to bog or maybe a palisade, depending on your play style. Uh, you might not care about shortening the field. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as objectives, they do have a decent amount of cheap options that are really good. Uh, you know, between cold hands being able to sit on an objective and go sitting on an objective, um, especially, you know, I know John is very popular, uh, so you can invest seven points in these two solos, especially if you're playing something like Game of Thrones, um, to just sit on these objectives and you just screen, you know, you just protect them with your other units while they sit there. Ghost isn't going to do much sitting there, but uh, Cold Hands will have his, uh, his ability for the minus one to hit. Again, another ability if you combined with uh, with vets can get quite annoying because um, minus two to hit with a counter strike uh, and a bog, uh, you know, could make the unit. I wouldn't, you know, in a in a in a in a way it would make them unchargeable. Like obviously you could just you know you can charge them, but then you ask yourself, really worth it, especially if you have let's say it's already on them, or if you have a, a reason to believe that they have a uh, shield that guards the realms of men for those rerolls of their armor saves, and or if just block one hit if it's already attached, it's, uh, 
I think Night's Watch are deceiving. Like, they're, they don't look very defensive, but they can be deceivingly defensive, um, you know, with their morale and their middle-of-the-road defense. But when you add in things like Disrupt, throw in some bogs in there, throw in uh, uh, cold hands in there, um, you know, you wind up with, uh, and then like Amon with uh, with his healing, you really throw in a lot of defensiveness that can be, like I said, deceiving. Yeah, th- th- they can. They do struggle, like you said, with the heavy cavalry and also, like I had mentioned, the uh, the free hits that just seem to be popping up everywhere. Uh, the vets have uh, kind of fallen out of favor as of late. Uh, I was actually talking about them in the uh, Castle Black Discord on the main Song of Ice and Fire page. And Disrupt and Counter-Strike, they're great abilities. But the problem is, is you're really at the mercy of the dice. And if the minus one to hit doesn't uh, prove to be fruitful when your opponent's attack ends up making all their hits anyway especially if they have re-rolls, uh, you just end up you know, taking a lot of wounds and the, the veterans end up crumbling. So you're really going to have to play into the terrain if you're going to be bringing vets. Because it's certainly possible if your opponent is ro- rolling seven or eight dice or up to even you know, 10 in the case of, uh, of Lance Cav, they can make all their hits sitting on fours. I mean, it's certainly possible. I've seen it happen. I think I've even done it once, you know, in a blue moon, you know. So uh, I think the focus tends to be with Night's Watch is to just play aggressive and try to get, you know, the multiple attacks from Ranger Hunters and multiple attacks from Watch Captain Swarm Brothers and win the game that way. And that's why I think, and I've talked about before, Baratheon is such a tough matchup for Night's Watch as it is because as deceptively defensive as you say Night's Watch is, uh, Baratheon are not deceptively defensive. They're just flat defensive. And they can actually take some of the biggest shots from Night's Watch and be able to bond and be able to hit them back. And in prolonged engagements, uh, Baratheons actually win. And they'll actually destroy those Night's Watch units. Uh, that's what was having me pull my hair out uh, a few months ago, which provoked me to end up buying a Baratheon army. Is I was playing Night's Watch very often. And Kurt, who's uh, been on here, and uh, recently he was on uh, Tourney Grounds, uh, he plays almost exclusively Baratheons. And it was maddening. So... Uh, it's just a slight tangent there, but Nightwatch are certainly strong. Uh, they have a few units that uh, that could definitely stand to be taken down a peg or two. But you had a great idea. I mean, if uh, Ranger Hunters do end up getting nerfed, uh, let's give them hidden traps. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I'm surprised that, uh, I don't know, maybe if they get another Ranger unit, because right now they only have the two, right? Or no, right. they have three. They they have the Vanguard. Um, oh, yeah, they don't even count, though. Yeah. Uh, 
So I guess let's assume they don't get any more Ranger units because it seems like three is kind of ma the magic number for most sub-factions. Um, I think giving, because you would think that the Ranger aesthetic, like someone would have the traps, but maybe it just isn't in the cards for like balance-wise. Um, you know, I've said it before, I'm I'm not a big fan of things that can double shoot, like uninterrupted double shoot. Obviously, like um, the new, what are they called, the the Dorn, uh, the Martell unit that is similar to the Hunters. They're the... Those skirmishers. Are they skirmishers? Yeah, dervishes, yeah. skirmishers. Um, so the skirmishers are basically in my opinion, a better designed, uh, they're not as good as hunters, but they're a better designed hunters because they have the, a way to do what the hunters do. They just can't do them back to back. Like they can't um, uh, force their own combo by charging and then retreating and then shooting. Uh, they actually have to uh, combo some things in there. They'll be able to shoot you, then your opponent gets to respond, and then you have the chance to shoot again, or whatever you're, you know, you want to do with your your combo, but um, and I like that. I like that kind of aspect to it, but I don't really like these units that uh, that can double tap uh, uninterrupted. Um, yeah. As far I'm, as object... Go I'm ahead. not a fan of those units either. Uh, I ran headlong into the uh, Targaryen uh, veterans, the Dothraki veterans, uh, the, this last weekend. And it's like, I thought I had played this right. I have this, uh, unit of, uh, vets that are, that are on stakes because he had to get to the objective that I, that we had put the stakes right on the objective. So he took the stake damage and I thought, it's like, okay, so he's going to have to move around. And if he wants to charge me, he's going to have to charge back through these stakes again. Um, uh, but so he, he takes this and he does the free maneuver off the stakes and takes some more damage, but he spins around and shoots me and I'm like, okay, take the damage. And it's like, okay, I'm going to shoot you again. Like crap. <laughs> Cause they can do that. <laughs> they could do a shot after their yep. free maneuver and they can shoot again. It's like, dang it. This and that unit ended up dying. So, uh, yeah, just the double the the double pot shots. And you know, I, I I play Night's Watch and I've tried to defend Night's Watch. I've thought that the Ranger Hunters were silly uh, as they are right now. I think that they could, they could be brought down a little bit. That that just that is a little bit too much. The double tap. And I tend to when I do play Night's Watch, I tend to focus on on Swarm Brothers. If I do run Ranger Hunters, it's just one. I don't run, you know, double Ranger Hunters with double Watch Captains. It's just absolutely absurd. Uh, but yeah, I totally get it. So, um, I think we could probably move on. We're down to only about 10 minutes for the show. Uh, did we go over Lannisters? I can't remember. Yeah, that was one of the first I ones. think we... Okay, so if I am correct, all we have is free folk and neutrals? Yep. All right, so 
sorry, neutral players, if we don't have – we'll try to get to it, but I don't think we'll have time for the neutrals in this episode. Uh, Nobody so, seriously but we're plays gonna, neutrals anyway. Uh, Justin does. He does quite well with them, and so does no, uh, Mark no, Rupp. Nobody really, nobody really <laughs> plays neutrals. <laughs> but uh, with that said, we can talk about Free Folk. Um, I play a lot of Free Folk recently. Uh, you know, Brett likes to give me crap for it since Free Folk are so good, but – as I have proof from our many episodes, Free Folk ever since 2021 drop has been a faction that has been uh, either my favorite or second favorite. It's kind of gone back and forth a little bit uh, until I got heavily into Greyjoys. Um, but uh, for them, I think it's, uh, it's pretty obvious. Uh, you see it a lot just in games. I mean, I guess not obvious to everyone, but I'll just mention it just because, um, you know, bogs just synergize really well. So you're you're looking to probably do bogs and or weirwood trees. Um, you could definitely do stakes uh, because you do have built-in taunt with thens, and thens are arguably the best five-point unit they have available to them. Um, but I think... That tree, in order to make Tormund an auto-pass if he's within uh, Mance for his war cry, uh, you have the bogs, which then tie in with the hidden traps and egret, uh, I think are the, the three main options you're always going to see. But it's not to say that you definitely can't take uh, other options, but I think those are your three big ones, depending on how your lists look. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, as 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 much uh, flack as as Night's Watch has gotten, which a lot of it has been earned, especially early in in 2021, uh, I think Free Folk have earned a lot of their flack as well. When they can throw out ten or eleven, sometimes twelve activations on the field. And tactically, that just gives you so many options uh, that uh, you can, you know, play aggressively. You can send your chaff units out, you know, well ahead of your line to go tie up units to keep them from reaching objectives or from reaching your, your main battle line. And when those units die, you're not worried about it because they're not worth victory points when they die. And you also have ways of getting those units back. It's uh, it, it could be pretty maddening for a lot of players to deal with. Um, as, and as far as uh, like what we were talking about, you know, what what's your tactic when you're playing uh, certain factions? Your tactic when you're playing free folk is play the objective. That's your focus. Whatever the objective or the game mode is, you focus on that, and killing units is a secondary concern. And you only do that when the perfect opportunity arises and you have the right hand of cards, and particularly one of those cards being there's too many, which can wipe out almost half a unit in a single go. Uh, Yeah, Free Folk... They are difficult to get a handle on because they do play differently than other factions do. I've said this before. If you play Free Folk like the same way you play Starks or the same way that you play, you know, Baratheons or or other units, 
you're going to struggle because these units are very particular in what they do. They, you know, will not be able to to stay in prolonged combat and swing back and forth with the unit. They're going to melt. So you either run mants and have your morale bubble that will allow units to hang in for a lot longer than they have any business doing, or you just simply at, use those raiders as speed bumps and just set up your positioning to be able to score maximum points every single round from objectives and pounce on units that maybe stray too far from the pack. As far as terrain goes, I think it's another situation where it's pretty wide open. Uh, you could be throwing out course piles if you really want to, to try to uh, take advantage of your opponent, fit, potentially failing more per, uh, panic tests. That does put you in a little bit of a problem with your raiders because they have, you know, innate, uh, is it innate or what would you call it, uh, disorganized. It's not innate. Can they lose disorganized? I can't remember now. Yep. You can turn it off and make them worth a victory point. No, no, the disorganized, the plus one uh, oh. wound. Yeah, you can turn that off. Okay, so that's funny. So if you do have an ability that turns off abilities uh, for a turn or for a round, it will actually turn disorganized off. That's actually pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so I forgot where I was going with that. But again, you, like you said, you, they can benefit off of like bogs and forests and things like that as well. Uh, they could throw out trees to try to bolster their uh, their morale. Uh, there are some units that will really benefit from that, like say Tormund Raiders with his war cry. Uh, even one one uh, has a war cry as well that might be able to benefit from a boost in morale. Um, let's see what else. But yeah, it's, it's similar to Night's Watch in the fact that they can use a lot of different pieces of terrain and be able to get benefits from it. Yeah, I think uh, definitely like you were mentioning, um, you know, how you can kind of either make your raiders just road bumps or you can give them uh, kind of that manse bubble to make them a lot more survivable than they have any reason being. But uh, or you could do what I love doing. Uh, I don't, I'm sure people out there do it. Uh, cause I'm not in like, I know a lot about like what's being run on TTS, but I don't know like all the ins and outs because I don't play in the tournaments myself. But, uh, uh, one of the things I absolutely love running is the Walrus Chieftain in a Raider unit next to Mance's bubble. Uh, that five point unit is, in my opinion, more survivable than Wardens. They're more survivable than, you know, I'd argue to say they're the most survivable five-point unit in the game. Granted, you have to stay within Mance's bubble to be the most survivable five-point unit, but you're the most survivable five-point unit that also gives up no victory points. Um, I run, a lot of times I run two. Uh, because a lot of times your opponent, when they're, I don't know what the right way to put this, because a, a lot of more experienced players against Free Folk will tend to just ignore Mance because he's often behind other units um, and you can't get to him. But 
I also love just putting the two uh, Walrus Chieftains right in front of Mance and just daring my opponent to try to get through it uh, with two of them in front of them. Uh, now you have this little bunker in the center while your flanks kind of do what they need to do. Uh, or even, uh, you know, they're also, they, I already ran them well before this, but they're also my answer to the champions of the stack. Uh, I just run this five point nothing into the champions and I tie them up for most, if not the whole game. Uh, and, you know, free folk having just way more advantage, uh, activation advantage, the champions can't even, can't even necessarily retreat. They can retreat unless you roll really high. I'm just going to re-engage you and I'm just going to do it over and over and over again. Um, and without like Andrew Estremont, there's not a whole lot of things other than the tactics board that's even going to give you multiple attacks to get through the resilience order. Um, now, I'm not saying it's an end-all, be-all. I'm sure there's some other things out there, like tactical approach, get some auto wounds in there, and this and that. But, I mean, there's just so many bodies that if you can tie up their 8- to 9-point unit, if they have an attachment in there with your 5-pointer that doesn't give up a victory point, I mean, you've practically, you know, you've either practically won the game already or it's an uh, extremely uphill battle for the Baratheon player. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just personally love that unit. Um, but otherwise, I think, you know, Free Folk, they have so many solo options now with uh, Veramir. Um, you know, you have Veramir, his uh, Shadow Cat, his Pack of Wolves. You have, um, uh, you know, you have the Chariot. You have your cheap Raider units. You have so much cheap stuff that you can easily capture a lot of these objectives. Uh, especially like Game of Thrones, you just plop two units onto the uh, outside objectives, and then you just move everything else forward. And now you're uh, fighting over the middle and or um, re really bringing the fight to your opponent uh, on their objectives. But uh, running down to the last like minute and a half here, so we can kind of end it there. Uh, we'll probably do a second uh, tactics talk where we talk about maybe a, a little bit more on the free folk side and we'll throw in neutrals and then we'll just add in some more tactics uh, talk in there about just some other things. Um, quickly, uh, like 30 seconds, do you have uh, anything to add? Oh, not really. Uh, it was nice to get back into talking about tactics uh, like we were talking about earlier and with this being live unscripted you know we might not have been able to go into as much detail as maybe we could have and losing our you know train of thought in a few different areas you know it might have been just a little bit of a jumbled mess but you know we we do our best on the show and uh hopefully yep. we're able to cover enough here yeah we're definitely going to get back into more tactics talk uh topics and kind of you know get back in the swing of things there but uh with that said everybody I thank you all for listening in. This is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. You're still here.